different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. This is the word of the Lord. pray. Father, we come to you now not because we are strong but because we are weak, not because we're better than anybody else but because we are those who are in need of your grace. We come because we need our lives to be under your control. We need you to be directing us and leading us and shaping us. Thank you, Lord, that uh, you hear us And thank you that you give us the opportunity to hear you. We pray that you would um, bless each one of us now as you do speak to us, that you would remove any barriers that might be there that might hinder or distract us and help us to love you with our our minds, with our hearts, um, and through this process of worshipping you through listening and responding. So, Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said... The Lord Jesus is the one who is building his church. That's our theme and we conclude that series today. Um, And the church he is building is made up of a group of people whom C.S. Lewis described as, there are two groups of people. One group are those who say to God, your will be done. And then there is another group of people to whom God will say, your will be done, have it your way, do what you want. Those who say to God, your will be done, those who accept Jesus as Lord and Saviour, who 
submit and surrender their lives to him and offer their lives to serve him. And there are those who say, no, I'll live my life my way. I don't want God as part of my life. I'm going to do my own thing. And eventually God will say, have it your way. You wanted to live without me, now you will have eternity without me. And that is incomprehensible in, uh, in horror. So the church the Lord Jesus is building are made up of the people who say that first thing. It's your will be done, Lord, in my life. I repent and I surrender. It's made up of believers. Those believers, likewise, are connected with him intimately, just like the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are intimately collected. So he wants that level of intimacy and connection with him, but also with one another, that we are united with one another and reconciled to one another when we get out of step with one another. The church the Lord Jesus is building is one that obeys him. It obeys him in terms of not only sharing the gospel, but also living the gospel out, demonstrating the gospel through the ordinances, through communion, the Lord's Supper, and through baptism. We remember his death, his burial, and his resurrection. The church of the Lord Jesus is one that obeys him through giving, as we said last week, giving generously, but also giving sacrificially. That's a decision we make between us and God. He resources us in order that we can be contributing, like he does. He's a giving God. And then today, of course, the church the Lord Jesus is building is one that will obey him by serving him. The Lord Jesus calls us to be servants. Um, But he has been at work and active in the world and in our lives. So the question is not, what do I want to do? What do I want to be? What do I want to become? What are my goals, my dreams, my hopes? The real question for us is, what does God want of me? What did God make me for? How has he shaped me? What's his purpose for my life? And the Lord Jesus, through his personal example, through his plan of building the church, and through his purpose in each of our lives, is calling us to join him as servants. Going to look at those three things very simply this morning. Jesus came to serve as well as to save. He came to serve. Mark 10.45 says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. We remember the latter part very well. That Jesus died on Calvary's cross, gave us, died as a substitutionary death, paid the ransom for us. At the first part of the verse, he spoke about, I haven't come to do my own will, I've come to serve. I've come to do what God wanted me to do, and he calls us likewise to do the same. That's best illustrated, of course, in John chapter 13. Um, uh, Famous story where the Lord Jesus is ending uh, the last week of his life. It's now about the uh, the Thursday, and it's a preparation day. It's going to be the Passover celebration later that day. And uh, and he'd been with his disciples backwards and forwards from Bethany to Jerusalem every day for a week. Um, And it's dusty, it's, you know, messy and... I don't know, but my guess is, from when you read the passage, my guess is they probably had some form of cleansing, a bath or something that day, somewhere, to get themselves ready to celebrate Passover together. Because uh, at that night, in the upper room, where Peter says, you're not washing my feet, Jesus says, you know, if you're already clean through having a bath, then you just need your feet clean. He says some other things, but he says that, which sort of makes me think, they probably had a bath just either recently or maybe even that day. Anyway, at that supper, Jesus significantly, when the disciples arrive at the house, this prearranged meeting, uh, when they arrived, it was very customary that there would be one of the, a servant at the door. Now, usually it was the younger servant. Usually it was a child, uh, a child of a servant or a slave in the house. And 
the servant's job was to have a basin of water there and for people to remove their sandals, he'd wash their feet, he'd dry their feet, whether they put their sandals back on or went barefoot, I guess, depended on the quality of the floor and stuff in the house. And then they would go in and they'd recline at the table. Wouldn't sit on chairs with their feet under the table. They'd be reclining. So I'd be leaning like this and this person's feet would be just behind my head. <laughs> Could be a little bit smelly in the ancient world. Well, when they arrived at their house this day, you know the story. There's no servant. There's nobody there at the door. Do they take their sandals off and go in with their dirty feet? Well, their feet were still dirty and they've reclined and Jesus arrives and at some point he gets up and he takes off his outer cloak just leaves the inner cloak and he goes over somewhere and he grabs a basin and he has water in it pours water into it grabs a towel and he goes around the outside of the group person by person puts their feet in the bowl or pours water on it and washes their feet and serves them this menial the lowest of the lowest tasks given to the youngest servant that the disciples didn't want to do for each other. It's too embarrassing. No, thank you. And Jesus does it. And does it deliberately. Not that he wants us, he commands us to, well, I've set you an example, now do as I've done. I don't think, I know there are parts of the church that do practice foot washing. I don't think that's the point. I don't think Jesus wants us to take our shoes and socks off and to have wash one another's feet, literally. Though sometimes, medically, that you do need to do that. But that's not what the point of this is. I think he means, if I am your Lord and teacher, and that's who you say I am, and if I have done the lowest of the tasks, then copy my example. Be prepared to humble yourself and get involved and do what is necessary to be done. Serve one another, as well as serve with one another, but to serve one another. Jesus asks them point blank, do you understand what I've done? And he has to point it out to them. You call me Lord and teacher and so I am. If I've done this, then you should do it as well. He also says in that passage, I've set you an example to follow. Now that you've seen this example and you know this truth, blessed are you if you do it. And we know it. The question is, are we doing it? Is that our attitude? The Lord Jesus is building a church in which he wants people who are servant-hearted, who are prepared to step up and do things that just need to get done. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, the Apostle Paul certainly catches this truth. He says, We are simply God's servants. Each one of us, Apollos and he and others, each of us simply does the work the Lord gave us to do. I planted, Apollos watered, but it's God who gives the growth. I planted... I did my role, I did this. Apollos came along and he added to it, he did something else to it. This person did something else, but through it all, God is at work. God is doing things. God does things, not just in the spiritual things, not just in the speaking things, but also in the doing things. God is at work in all these dimensions and aspects, both of church life and of our life. The Lord made us to make a contribution, not simply to be consumers. God's purpose for your life, one of his purposes for your life is serving to reach others, to connect with others, to grow, to mature in Christ, to honour him, but also to serve. And he's given us gifts and talents and abilities. He's been shaping us. Talk a little bit about that in a minute. Last week I spoke about a, uh, a Virginia State, a professor at a university in the United States. And he spoke about what really thrills and excites people. And he gave the students an assignment, remember this? Now, those to go out and do deeds of kindness and 
respond to that of how did they feel and then also to do whatever pleasurable activity, whatever thing they really got, they like doing to please themselves. Go to the movies, go to a restaurant, go to a sporting game, whatever it was, knock themselves out. And then to reflect, which one of these gave me more sustaining happiness, more sustaining an emotional lift? And the students found that by doing this undeserved act of kindness, by serving another person, particularly those who did it spontaneous, found that they benefited for that nearly for the whole day. Whereas if you go to a movie or a sporting event, the anticipation to get there, you enjoy it when you're there, and after the event you enjoy it for a little while, but then it dissipates. Then you start looking for something else to do. That's how it works, isn't it? That's how it works for me. I love going to the movies. I haven't been for ages, but there are some good ones coming out. I look forward to going, I enjoy it while I'm there, and I enjoy it for about half an hour afterwards. And then I look for it again. I have to go see another movie. And I don't know if you've ever done that. I've done this with my kids and Rhonda on a special treat when we might have a Saturday and we're totally free. We'll go see a movie. And at the end of the movie, we'll go see another movie. <laughs> Once we did it three times. That's really pigging out, isn't it? That's really selfish. But very enjoyable. Um, I guess another illustration I could give you is that God has made us in his image and as he is a God who gives and serves so we find fulfillment as we give and serve. You'll find it will resonate with your spirit and the more you mature in Jesus the more this will become a reality for you. He left us the example. There are two seas in the land of Israel, Sea of Galilee in the north and the Dead Sea in the south. Jordan River flows to both. The one in the north, the Sea of Galilee, is filled with life and vitality. The Dead Sea down south is stagnant, lifeless, dead. Why? Because the Jordan River flows from the north of the Sea of Galilee into the Sea of Galilee and through the Sea of Galilee. Input, output. Receives, passes it on and gives. It has life and vitality. The Dead Sea, the Jordan River flows into the Dead Sea. Inflow, there is no outflow. It is a sea that only receives. And in just receiving, just consuming, if you will, it's stagnant. It's life depleting. There are Christians like the Sea of Galilee who are into service. And there are people, and some Christians, who are not into service, but are into serve us. Serve me. They're consumers do what I want. The reality is that God has made us in his image. He has shaped us. He's been watching over us each and every day of our life. He's been orchestrating circumstances and experiences for us and he doesn't waste any of it. Not everything is as he would want. Uh, things happen that are not strictly part of what he designed for us but he is incredibly responsive and he is at work. He can take even bad things and he can use it to produce good things in us. That it's not just our, the things we experience, things that happen to us, but it's the things that happen in us as a result of that experience that where he is at work, where he is shaping us. So the Lord Jesus has left us an example. And the Lord Jesus is also building his church. To live in this world, you need a physical body. That's pretty obvious, isn't it? When you don't have a physical body, you don't live in this world anymore. Do you agree? Good. When Jesus came into this world to do God's will, he needed a body. Hebrews 10 verse 5 says that. 
You know, I've come into the world and you have prepared a body for me. I've come to do your will, O God. Quoting Psalm 40, I think it is. In other words, you can't do God's will without a body. When Jesus was here, he had a body. He used that body to do exactly what God wanted him to do through his death, resurrection, his ascension. He's now taken that body and he's gone to be at the right-hand side of the Father. Now he needs another body. And that's why he's making his body. And his body is made up of our bodies. That's why in the book of Romans it talks about that we are to come to him and we are to present our bodies to him as a living sacrifice. In the Old Testament, when you came to worship God, you would bring a body, the body of an animal, would be a substitute. And you would offer it freely and it would end up a dead body. Now that's all changed because of the death of the Lord Jesus. Now we still bring a body, but it's our body and we give it to him, we offer it to him and it's to be a living sacrifice. That's what he's calling for. Christianity is the only religion in the world that has this focus upon the physical, upon the material. It's concerned about the body. God wants us to be using our bodies, our talents, our time, our abilities, every part of us, our experiences to serve him. It's probably an old cliche, but you've heard it before. We are now his hands, his feet, his eyes. He serves the world through us, his people. We are the body of Christ in that other sense as well. And your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit and he wants to fill you and use you to represent him in this complex world. So he's building the church. He's inviting people in to respond and he wants them to be fully submitted and um, sacrificial to him. Then the Apostle Paul in that passage that Vanessa read to us talks about this body that he's building is amazingly complex and he, he reflects upon even our own physical body which is amazingly complex. It's not simple but it is united. It is operating together. It's harmonious that every different part of the human body, the physical body, still works together. So the church is to be like that. We, with all of our differences and different likes and different abilities, are to work together. There's a sense of, not just community, but there's a sense of commitment and submission to one another. It's valuing one another, not competing against one another. That's when you see a need, it's stepping up and doing so. And the Apostle Paul in that chapter particularly addresses two attitudes which are wrong which in our fallen world can be quite common. The first one is an inferiority complex. It's where the Apostle Paul talks about you know, this person who says, I don't feel that I belong. I don't feel that I am needed. I don't, the foot says to the hand, um, I'm not as important as you. You can do things that I can't do. I don't fit in. Um, and applying that, what is the Apostle Paul talking about? Well, some people erroneously think, well, I can't preach. Because I'm not on the platform, therefore I'm, I, I can't serve God, that this is the only way that you can serve God. And that isn't true, because we're all different. We all have a part to play and strengths to bring. It's interesting when you think about Paul's illustration, he talks about the foot speaking to the hand. So in this rather complex metaphor, you have the parts of the body have the ability to speak to other parts of the body, just like a church. The hands and the feet are similar different but similar there's left and right they have nails on the end of them and they have five what do you call them digits appendages you don't have five fingers do you everybody knows that you have four fingers and a thumb is that correct it is 
<laughs> See how the, the, the Lord has given us people who are very smart and <laughs> verbal and <laughs> we have eight fingers and two thumbs. That's correct. And we have eight toes and, and we have ten toes. <laughs> I was going to say in two bits, stop it. But the hand and the feet, while they're similar, sort of, they're also quite different, aren't they? What can you do with your feet? Walk. What else? Kick. What else? What? Paint. Oh, you can paint with your feet. Well, some people can paint with their feet. Yes, that's true. What else? That's correct. Or the same feet, praise the Lord. <laughs> what can the hands do? They can hold, they can point, they can express, they can communicate, they can spank, they can paint, they can point. Hands can do more than feet, agreed? It's interesting, in Paul's analogy, he says, so the foot says to the hands, I'm not like you, I can't do what you're doing, I'm not necessary. But the feet are necessary, aren't they? Otherwise, you can't do the very things that God has given the feet for. Same with the ears and the eyes. He talks about that. The eye seems to be far more helpful than ears. What can the ears do here? Oh, they also hold glasses on. But you don't need ears to do that because the hands can do it. You can hold them like this. So the ears say to the eyes, you know, because I'm not an, uh, an eye, therefore I'm not needed. Um, I just am needed to... Um, hold spectacles on so you can see. Well, there is this wrong attitude, this... Sometimes it's false humility, but it's, it's really an inferiority complex where it's demeaning that which God has given you. Because you don't have that gift, therefore I have nothing. That's a wrong attitude. The Lord is the one who made you. He's been watching over you, as I've already said, each and every day of your life. He's been shaping you, he has gifted you, and you probably have more talents and abilities than you are even aware of. We can help you go through a process for discovering that. I'll never forget, and Leslie's not with us in this service, but she told me, she's had this experience as well. We did a spiritual gifts um, discovery class, and there was about a dozen people in it. <clears throat> and at the end of going through the process of what is a spiritual gift and defining them, and this is what they look like, and then do you have that gift? Let's anal uh, do an evaluation of that. And she went away, did the evaluation, came back and says, I don't have any of these gifts. I don't think I have any gift. And it's quite possible that there are other gifts that are not in the Bible, I believe that. But she wasn't saying that. She was saying, I, I don't have any gift. And the group, the other 11 people in the group, just looked at her. Her name was Helen. And they said, you're kidding. And the group just went, one after the other, you do this extremely well, you do this. I don't like doing that, but you do it. And they just went around the group. And it was very affirming for her. But it was also quite revealing for her. And that sometimes for you to discover your spiritual gift, other people will see it before you do. But there is a process of discovery and so on, because we all have one. Um, so some people have a low attitude. The other attitude to watch, the Apostle Paul doesn't draw this too much here, but he does in Romans 12, that they were arrogant. They have a high view, um, a high view of themselves, that they're more important than other people, and that therefore they're indispensable to the body. They're the kingpin. They're too big. Oh, no, I couldn't do that. Oh, no, it's below me. It's this wrong attitude about serving. If the Lord Jesus is our teacher and our Lord, and he did it, then we need to humble ourselves and to be available to be serving him. God made you to make a contribution. 
that's the point. You were created to serve God. He saved you to serve God. You've been saved to serve. You have been gifted and equipped with spiritual gifts and abilities, talents. He has equipped you. There is a magnificent passage in Exodus. It's chapter 31. This is typical of what God does. The Lord is giving instructions to Moses that he wants something built, the tabernacle. And he's given very specific instructions on what is in it and the size of it and the shape of it and the material to go into it. And it's quite complex and complicated. Chapter 31, the Lord then says to Moses, See, I've chosen this guy called Bezalel. He's the son of the son of the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with the Spirit of God in skill, in understanding, in knowledge, and in all kinds of craftsmanship to make artistic designs for work with gold, silver, and bronze, and with cutting and setting stone, and with cutting wood to work in all kinds of craftsmanship. He can work with metal, special jewelries and gems. He can work in stone. He's a stonemason, and he works with wood. He's a carpenter. This is one very talented guy. And the Lord says, see, I have chosen Bezalel. I have filled him with the spirit of God and I have given him these abilities, these talents. Verse 6, moreover, I've also given him this other bloke, Aholiab, who's the son of, he's of the tribe of Dan. And I have given abilities to all the specially skilled that they may make everything that I have commanded you. Here is a guy, multi-talented, he's the leader. Here is this other guy who is his helper and I've also equipped all these other people to do what I want you to do. That's typical of God. I want you to do this. Uh, here's the resources. And sometimes you won't discover the resources until you have an attitude of obedience which says, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then he'll tell you. And then he'll resource you. He does not always, he most often doesn't resource you before you step out in faith. So God created you, he saved you, he has equipped you to serve He's also commanded you to serve. Serving is not an option. So the question becomes, are you serving? And if not, well, you're in that group that I wouldn't want to be in. You're in the disobedient group. You're in a group that's going to be in a mess of trouble come Judgment Day and Accountability Day. He is the one who has shaped us. Rick Warren, I think, I'm not sure if he invented it, but he's the one I learned it from. I find it such a helpful acrostic shape s-h-a-p-e that god has given us as spiritual gifts do you know what your gifts are you can discover them you can go through a process of helping to discover them and as i've already indicated the most the best way of all is simply get involved in service and other people will be affirming you and you'll have this inner sense of joy and satisfaction as you do it if you know what your gift is then use it make yourself available uh, if you're whatever it is there's a lady in our 8.30 service. She, is a, um, she likes to sing, lead worship. And I said, are you willing to do that here? And she is. So I said, I'd tell Michael, I'm just doing it publicly. That's all instead of personally. I'll give Michael the details later. What are your talents? What are your abilities? Where do you fit in? Don't make the mistake either of thinking that I should only serve God out of my spiritual gifts. You should certainly serve God with your spiritual gifts, but not only. God has not only given you spiritual gifts, he's also given you abilities. That's the A on the shape acrostic. He's given you talents. He's given you, like he did a Bezalel and Aholiab. Those abilities you have, whether you're 
musical or mechanical or mathematical, whether you're good with words or whether you're good with doing things practically. Maybe you're good up front, maybe you're better behind the scenes, whatever it is. He's given us all different abilities and different amounts of those abilities. You don't have to be the best at it. You just have to be your best at doing it. Um, and to assess them and to apply them. The H stands for heart. Our Heavenly Father loves us and he has shaped us to be like him. And he has given us a certain wiring where we are just thrilled and excited and satisfied as we do certain things. Some people get a kick out of just playing musical instruments. For others, it's singing or leading singing. For others, it's writing. For others, it's visiting people and just sitting down and talking with them. For others, it's speaking a word of encouragement. For some, it's preaching. For some, it's something else. God has given us all different sorts of abilities and talents and gifts, and he's been shaping us. He's given us different personalities. Some of us are more extrovert, some of us are more introvert, and different parts along the spectrum. And he has most certainly been watching over us and giving us different experiences, good experiences, bad experiences, educational experiences. And like in all experiences of life, he's watching what's our reaction to those experiences. He's more concerned with how we are responding and growing to be like Jesus than he is in getting us sometimes out of the stuff that we find ourselves in. Use what God gave you, your shape, S-H-A-P-E, spiritual gifts, heart, abilities, personality and experiences. Make them available to him. He deserves our best. And the way that you make that available is simply, like Paul says in Romans chapter 12, present your bodies. Here I am, Lord. I'm a living sacrifice. In this body, you working, serving through me. The direct application is easy, isn't it? It's carols. We need people on the ground who can physically help put things up, put things, pull things down at the end of it, as well as to get involved in helping out in other contexts. Well, that's not all to be involved in. There are many other avenues of our church where you can be involved. Do you know what your gift is? If the answer is yes, then are you using it? Made it available to him. If the answer is no, well then, do you want to find out? then take that yellow card we have in our board and tick, I want to serve at SDBC and we'll contact you and say if you know what your gift is and if you don't, then come and join this course and we'll help in that way. So it begins by presenting your body. Lord, I'm available. And then it comes down to watching your attitude, not being too low and not being too arrogant. Apostle Paul says, Romans 12, let me read this and then I'll finish. He says, for by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, a fair, honest evaluation, accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and those members don't all have the same function, so in Christ, we, though many, form one body, one local church, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace that is given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, prophesy. If your gift is faith, um, in accordance with faith. If your gift is serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's encouraging, then encourage. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's leading, do it diligently. If it's showing mercy, do it cheerfully. What's he saying? Whatever your gift is, get on with it. Use it. Use it in the body. That's why God has given it to you. See, that's another dimension. 
You have a gift which is for you to serve in the body, but the gift is not yours, it's ours. God has given you a gift for us. That's why you need to be using it and serving it, because it's to serve others, not just yourself. And yet, in the economy and the kingdom of God, as you are obedient to him, he will both bless you and reward you as he watches over you. So present your body, watch your attitude, and let's get on with it. Let's get involved. Let's serve in our church to his honour and glory. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for being committed to the church. We know that you love the church, that you've gifted the church, you've resourced the church, and that through your spirit you are continuing to uh, link with us and invite us to link with you to extend your kingdom. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to speak into each of our lives where you want us to be involved. I pray that you would resource that which we need for the carols. I ask, Lord, that you would resource that which we need as a church, that even the decisions we make today at the members' meeting be part of that process of putting in place uh, people and positions so that the church might be stronger and healthier and walking in obedience to you. Thank you, Lord, for watching over us, for shaping us. Thank you for the gifts, the abilities and the talents. Thank you for our experiences and for our hearts. And I pray that you might have your will done through us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.